Dallas Willard described discipleship as when a person decides to share life with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or becoming like who that person is. So, so hear that definition again of what it means to be discipled by someone. Sharing life with another person in order to learn how to become capable of doing what that person does or in order to become like who that person is. If we were to take a, an inventory, a stock of our own lives, we would all see that we are all being discipled by someone or something. All of us have someone or something, probably more than one someones or some things, who are trying to form us and shape us to do what they do and to live the way that they live. So if we do that inventory, we take stock, we ask ourselves, who or what is discipling me? Is it God's word, the Bible? Is, is this what I use to interpret, to filter every message that I receive? All of the noise around us, all of those people and those things that are, are constantly saying, this is how you should think, this is the answer, be more like me, be more like this. Is God's word discipling me first to help me discern and interpret those things that I hear? Or is it not? Or am I being discipled by another faithful believer who is actively walking with Christ? I can see that. And so I can trust that their influence in my life is a Christ-like influence. Might be being discipled in the midst of a, of a strong class, a Sunday school class, or a small group? Am I being discipled by a teacher? Am I being discipled by a boss? Am I being discipled through a job or through a degree program? Am I being discipled by politicians? Cable news, talk radio, podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or something else? Or are most of us regularly being discipled by something on here? Something that, that all day long, regularly, we scroll through and we see. And again, if we're honest, it's probably more than just one thing. We, we are being discipled from many different directions. And if that is the case for you, that, that you're being discipled from many directions, lots of different voices are competing for your attention, then you likely feel scattered a lot of the time. You, you're being discipled, spoken to, shouted at from many directions, and then you feel pulled in many directions. What, was it, what does it look like for us to come back to a center, the center we can trust? And in this case, as Jesus was speaking to a group of people who were the most religious, supposed to be the most discipled and the most trustworthy to disciple others, he narrows the focus and he says, in the end, there's only one place to enter. There's only one shepherd to trust. And there's only one true voice that we ought to listen to. And any other voice 
that competes, that says something else, that tries to pull us in a different direction is not a voice that's coming through the front door, through the gate, to the safe place inside God's sheep pen. It's coming from the outside. And if it's trying to come through any other way, you can't trust it because it's not looking out for your good. That person is not looking out for your good. And so as we get into this text in John 9, it's important to remember what Jesus had just done and said in John 9. So we're in John 10 today. Last week we were in John 9, and I shared, because the vast majority of people were watching online, that I had been most excited about coming to John 9. I don't know what it was, but before we began in this series, I thought, I can't wait for the Sunday when I get to preach about the man who was born blind. And then, of course, on that Sunday, there was nobody here. Thankfully, a lot of you watched online, but if you haven't yet, I encourage you to go listen to or watch that message because John 9 is such an important part of what Jesus says going forward. Again, it's not just what he said in John 9, but it's what he did. He had healed a man who had been born blind. He had given a man who could not see true sight. And the Pharisees, the same group of people he's talking to here, were so flustered by what he had done, they had no explanation. They had no way to, to fit into their box, their limited understanding, what Jesus had done, that they interrogated that man endlessly. They not only interrogated the formerly blind man, but in, even his parents, they interrogated them. And finally, when they weren't satisfied, when the formerly blind man wouldn't say to them what they wanted to hear, they threw him out of the synagogue. And after he was thrown out of the synagogue, Jesus, as we would imagine Jesus to do, went and found him. And he initiated another conversation with him. And essentially what happened in that conversation with the formerly blind man was, I've healed you physically, but would you like to be healed spiritually? And the way that that happened was that Jesus told the man who had once said Jesus was a prophet, I'm not just a prophet. I, standing before you, am the Messiah, the Son of God. And the formerly blind man said, I believe. Of course, what also happened in the midst of that conversation was the Pharisees had kind of meandered back in. They wanted to hear what's Jesus saying now. We just threw this guy out of the synagogue. Jesus went and hunted him down. Now, what's the conversation? So Jesus, knowing they were within earshot, said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And the Pharisees, realizing Jesus was probably talking about them, said, So what? Are you saying we are blind also? And Jesus said the last words of John 9. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But because you have seen and have refused to see, yet you still claim to see, your guilt remains. And then we move into John 10, where John tells us as Jesus describes the sheep pen and the sheep gate, he is now talking not to the man born blind, formerly blind man, but he is talking directly to the Pharisees themselves. And so when I told you this morning as we stood to read, as Bob read, I said, I want you to hear this 
as if speaking to us, maybe it caught you off guard when it began with, I tell you, Pharisees. But again, I want us to hear it in our own religious setting that we would have ears to hear what Jesus said to those people in his own moment and culture who believed they had all the right answers themselves. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is, and hear these two Greek words, a kleptes, a thief, and a lestes, a robber. What do the thief and the robber want with the sheep? Well, they're trying to enter through another means by not being seen, and they certainly don't care about the health of the sheep. The thief and the robber doesn't care about the sheep's safety, doesn't care about the sheep's growth he doesn't care about the sheep's nourishment he only wants the sheep for his own self-interest to fleece the sheep and to make a profit he is just as likely after making a profit to discard the sheep completely as if it matters and its life matters not at all as to give it any true value whatsoever those who don't enter through the gate the way the true opening those who don't enter in the way where jesus said you have clear eyes to see the path that god has opened up and laid for you before you to enter the sheep pen anybody who tries to come another way is no better than a thief or a robber they will lead you astray they will use you and abuse you and when they're done they'll throw you out as if you don't matter so what is the sheep gate how do we know with all of the competing voices and mixed messages and all of the, the thieves and robbers and others who are very compelling, what's the gate? What's the way? How do we know we're coming through the open, clear interest? Jesus says, if you remember back in his conversation with another Pharisee, Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So if anyone else comes to us and says, there's another path, there's another way, look over here, there's a secret entrance, there's another gate, there's a back door, there's a side door. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God into the sheep pen as God's children, sons and daughters, members of his family, unless they're born again. Just as we saw Trevor represent and testify for us this morning. That's it. The example of the new birth. Dying to myself, being born again as a new creature, a new creation in Jesus Christ. Jesus has already said this. And yet the discussion continues. There are many other gates that the Pharisees had tried to enter. And if you think about the gates the Pharisees used, it had brought into their lives a lot of profitability. It had created for them a lifestyle, an environment in which they were very comfortable and they were very successful. And so to now acknowledge that what Jesus as a rabbi is teaching is true, is more correct than what they've been teaching, that now Jesus has revealed for those, again, who have eyes to see the true gate, they would have to sacrifice. They would have to let some things go. They'd entered through gates like wealth, political power, 
religion and success. And in some cases, they'd have to do what Nicodemus had done. They'd have to admit that they'd been wrong. That somewhere, some way, they had not had all the right answers. They would have had to be teachable just as Nicodemus was. And so Jesus then continues, and, and he gives an example that in the first century would speak to everybody. When he's talking about shepherds and sheep, whether you were wealthy, whether you were poor, whether you lived in the city or a village or out on the countryside somewhere, in the first century, especially in the ancient Near East, you saw shepherds and sheep everywhere all the time. In fact, even today, if you visit countries like Jordan and Israel, which many of us have, you'll still see on the hillside shepherds. And in many cases, they're using the same practices and principles that Jesus describes right here in the first century. So back in those days, and even still today, unlike Western shepherds, shepherds in the ancient Near East and today in the Middle East, they don't drive their sheep. Like a Western shepherd will often use a sheep dog to drive the sheep. The Eastern shepherd calls the sheep, draws the sheep to his voice. And it's amazing when you dip into some of these ancient examples, there are many of them, and you find the different ways that a shepherd would call his sheep. Sometimes the shepherd would use a strong cadence, using a strong, deep voice with a cadence that the sheep would know automatically, that's my shepherd and that's his call. But there are other examples where an ancient shepherd would use a song. He would sing in such a way with his voice and in a tune that the sheep would know, and they would come to the sound of the song. Other shepherds would use a wooden flute, and they would play a particular melody, and the sheep had been trained to learn, to, to know how to hear the call, the sound, even that one particular flute. And when they heard clearly the voice the call of their shepherd they would perk up their ears and they'd come running as i shared this in the first service zach came to me zach hudson our associate pastor after and i'm going to read from a book in a minute but he said you know on youtube there are lots of great videos of modern day shepherds putting into practice what jesus talks about here that others will, will be put to the test. Go out and try even learning the shepherd's call. Try in your voice to mimic the shepherd's call and to call the sheep to you, and the sheep sit out there eating the grass without a care in the world about the sound they hear. But when their shepherd calls, just like we read here, they perk up and they come running. So not right now, but at some point today, go put that in. Shepherd calling his sheep, and you'll see some incredible modern examples. But one of the things that stands out in some of these ancient stories is the challenge that happens for a sheep who is new to the flock. Especially a sheep who has been purchased from another shepherd, who now has to come to the new flock and, and train itself or be trained to hear the voice of a new shepherd. The sheep have become so used to hearing the voice, the cadence, the call, the sound of their former shepherd, that it, it, it almost becomes like for them several days of mental illness as they try to adjust from one voice to another. Kenneth Bailey wrote this book. Some of you are familiar with Kenneth Bailey. It's called The Good Shepherd. It's a wonderful, wonderful reading of Psalm 23, which we heard a moment ago, and from John 10. 
And he talks a lot about some of these ancient practices of shepherds. But I love this particular story from a modern-day Middle Eastern shepherd about what happens when a new sheep is brought into the flock. He says, Every new sheep needs to be trained to listen to the new voice. Early each morning, the flock starts to get excited because they've had nothing to eat for 14 hours or more. In addition to being hungry, they are restless from being cooped up all night. As daylight increases, they gradually become more and more active and eager. And finally, they hear the shepherd's voice outside the barred sheepfold door. And as soon as the door is opened, the shepherd calls the animals again and they rush out eagerly anticipating a new day full of lush grass, fresh mountain air, shady trees, and rest beside peaceful waters. But for that unfortunate new sheep, the voice, the call, is all wrong. It's like there's a party and everyone else has been invited except him. The more they begin to hear this new voice, it's as if they're shaken by some internal convulsion. And eventually... That poor animal has what looks like a nervous breakdown. The new sheep runs around, banging its head against the rough stone walls of the sheepfold, emitting a stream of pitiful, heartbreaking cries. It needs a few days of therapy to retrain its ear so that it might recognize the voice of the new shepherd. This is exactly what Jesus described. Look at verse 5. The sheep will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So one of the ways to understand this in the context, we, we typically think of the sheep with the shepherd always out on the hillside somewhere and far away, but, but at times the shepherds who are nomadic, who are wandering, they have to come into town. And they're not going to leave their sheep unattended on the hillside, so they bring them into town and imagine what it's like for the sheep now who are not just listening for their shepherd's call out somewhere on the hills, but in the middle of the city, in the middle of the village, where all of these voices are calling out, where perhaps other shepherds are there with their sheep, and all of the hustle and bustle of the marketplace is nearby, and they have to listen carefully amidst all the competing voices, carefully for the voice of their one true shepherd. So that they would know when they hear that voice, they're being called to safety. They're being called to someone who is trustworthy. They're being called to one who does care about their health and their safety and their growth and their nourishment. God's true children learn not to follow any other voice but the true voice of the true shepherd. And yet, as we've mentioned, this is hard. It's challenging. It's challenging for those of us who are daily trying to make disciples, not disciples of us, but disciples of Jesus Christ. And we look around and we say, I, I have, we have such little time, such precious time with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but all week long, every single one of us we are constantly immersed in environments where those other competing voices are vying for our attention. Where we may have an hour or two together during the week, we have 10s, 20s, 30s of hours listening to those other things. 
I read an article this week, some of you may have read it as well, where one of the, the men who was a part of what happened at the, the Capitol back in January was interviewed. He was actually one who didn't stand off at a distance or didn't just stay outside, but when the windows were broken, he was one of the first people to climb through and go inside. As he's been uh, dealing with all of the fallout of that, he's been interviewed, answered some questions, and, and been talking about what had happened in his life in the year prior. How he'd begun constantly immersing himself in so many of, of these different types of rabbit holes he could go down with, with opinions and thoughts and things that were presented as facts. As he began to be involved with more toxic people, a lot of his posts in his own language became more violent, so much so that he was involved in a church. And his pastor said, I, Brother, I'm concerned for you, and had a conversation. And then another pastor had a conversation, and then some of his friends in the church. And he talks about how during that time when, when his church family would talk to him about their concerns for a while, he would delete his account, he would go away from it. But he says, those voices were like sirens, always calling to me. I try to block them out. I try to get rid of them, but, but I always found myself needing to know, needing to get back plugged in. And finally, he said, I found myself becoming a person I didn't even recognize anymore. Those who are the sheep learn to follow the shepherd's voice. And even sometimes when we're new, part of the challenge is learning to hear his voice and learning to turn off some of those voices we've listened to in the past. Pharisees didn't get it. Verse 6 says they still didn't understand, even though Jesus was using such a clear example. But the beauty of this passage is that Jesus doesn't make us go searching for which gate we ought to enter. Just like he did with Nicodemus, he doesn't say, well, there's about 500 different options out there, so best of luck, go try to find the right one. Jesus says in the midst of all the noise and all those voices, the right gate is clear. I, verse 7, I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. Very truly I tell you, and, and by the way, John's gospel has several I am statements, and they're really a key to, to navigating Christ's teaching as John lays it out. We've seen a couple of them, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. We'll see some more next week. But here's the third one in John's gospel. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me, they've been thieves and robbers. But those who are the true sheep, who truly are God's children, who truly are living faithfully and obediently as God has called them, they have not listened to the thieves and the robbers. One of the other things you'll read about if you just sort of researching, research a little bit, ancient shepherds. In some cases, not when they stayed in the village, but when they stayed out on the hillside, when there was a lot of danger that, that, that what was going to try to come in was a predatory animal of some kind, there are examples of a shepherd who would lay down in the gate, in the, the, the opening to the sheep pen, literally lay down, as Jesus says, I am the gate, the ancient shepherd would become the gate himself using his body to block the sheep getting out or anyone who would seek to harm the sheep coming in through the gate. 
Jesus again says clearly in the midst of of all the false shepherds who are out there, the false saviors, all of those different places or people or things that might offer to disciple us, who, by the way, the world loves to elevate and to promote and to follow those false shepherds, those false saviors. Jesus clears it up in verse 9, again saying, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. We don't have to search and find or try to choose one from among the many options. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then he here he uses the language of Psalm 23, which we read, which is a psalm you'll often hear at funerals, and people will think, well, it must be because of that line, the valley of the shadow of death. But no, we use Psalm 23 at funerals because it's a psalm about life. The vast majority of the language, many of you have memorized that psalm. It's about God restoring and refreshing and nourishing and providing for us in him an environment where we can have peace and rest. And Jesus says, those who enter through the gate and are saved, they will come in and they will go out and they will find what? Pasture. Just like Psalm 23 says. But the thief the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life, and have life to the full. Jesus is the true gate. He is the door. The path to have a full life in God is not a path at all. It's a person. And Jesus Christ says, I am the gate. There's also the enemy who teaches false things, offers those other gates, tries to sneak in over the fence, tries to come through the back door, and his intention is only to bring destruction. But Jesus not only gives us life, but he also gives us victory over the enemy, and victory over sin, and victory over death. And to help us understand that even further he uses another i am statement he says i am the gate but then in verse 11 he says and i am the good shepherd i am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep literally think of that picture of a shepherd laying in the gateway laying in the in in the path to keep his sheep where they're supposed to be and to protect them from that which might come from the outside. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And by the way, of all the things Jesus says in this text, if we read all the way through verse 18, this is the only thing he says five times. I lay down my life for the sheep. How do we know who the good shepherd is, the true shepherd is? Well, who else besides the good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep? Jesus says even the hired hand won't do that. Even the guy who's paid to make sure the sheep are taken care of, if he has to make a choice between getting paid by risking his own life, he gets up and runs away. He's there for the paycheck. He's there for his own benefit. Only the truly good shepherd, only the sheep's true shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. 
not for profitability not for his own gain because he's risking his own life but because they are his sheep and he is their shepherd and jesus says i am the good shepherd i lay down my life for you for the sheep john who wrote this also wrote first john and he says something very similar this this is the definition of love this is how we know what love is that jesus christ laid down his life for us jesus was saying it in john in the present tense i'm going to lay down my life for the sheep i'm going to lay down my life for the sheep in john's letter later he says it's happened now it has happened jesus laid down his life for us and in the same way he gave us an example to follow if we like sheep want to follow the good shepherd then we also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters the best defense for the attacks that come from the outside or even those who might try to sneak in to infiltrate the sheep pen and harm them from the inside the best defense jesus says clearly i'm the good shepherd first of all who lays down my life for the sheep and in the last part of what we read, he says, I am the good shepherd who knows my sheep and my sheep know me. Which means the best defense for whatever attack might be brought on by the enemy is to know the voice of the true shepherd, of the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life, again, for the sheep. I love this quote. It's from Kenneth Bailey, who wrote this book I read from a moment ago. The close personal relationship between the Father and the Son in the heart of God is our model for the potential close personal relationship between the Good Shepherd and the sheep. Why? Because of the cross. Because Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do in john 10 john records it the majority of the rest of this book is going to be about jesus going to the cross he told us how do you know i'm the good shepherd how do you know i'm the gate how do you know that my voice can be trusted speaking squarely to the pharisees he says because i will lay down my life for the sheep and on the cross that is exactly what he did how do we know whose voice to trust? How do we know that, that when the good shepherd calls, we come running? Because he laid down his life for us. He showed us he is the good shepherd. And he modeled for us in his relationship with the Father, but also his relationship with the disciples who followed him. What it looks like, again, to share your life with someone in order to become capable of doing what they do, in order to become like the person that they are. That, that call, that opportunity to follow Jesus was not just extended to those few men and women who followed him. There were those few who heard his call and they, they believed and they accepted and they followed him. He issued that call to the Pharisees. He issued that call to many who still chose, even at this point, to resist him, to reject him, and to choose still to listen to those other voices. In many cases, voices that probably sounded a lot like their own instead of the good shepherd 
Now, one thing I want to mention before we close. I realize that not everyone likes to be called a sheep, okay? There are a lot of negative connotations to being called a sheep. We think of sheep as dumb. We think of sheep as naive. If someone calls you a sheep, you might think they're saying, you'll just follow anybody. But remember, the purpose of what Jesus says here is not to focus on the sheep, but the shepherd. And in this case, if we are the sheep that Jesus describes, it is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. We're not dumb. We're not naive. We won't just follow anybody. It's good to be the sheep when you follow the right shepherd. Amen? And that's what Jesus says. You're following the right shepherd when you follow the good shepherd, the true shepherd. And then the very last thing he says, just want to read a couple more verses to you. He says one last part of this. Yes, my sheep know me and they know my voice, but there is going to come a day when all the sheep are going to be gathered together into one flock from many different places. But no matter where they come from, no matter how many different varieties of sheep there are, they will all come together into one flock with one shepherd. John 10, starting in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not a part of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So who are these other sheep? I mean, this is, this is good stuff. Who are these other sheep that Jesus is talking about? He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to a group of people who come from the Judean Jewish background. Who are the other sheep from another sheep pen? Are they other Jews? Still specifically just talking about Jews who have not heard? Is he talking about the Samaritans who we saw back in John chapter 4 who had been rejected by the Jews? Was he talking about the Gentiles, the people who come from the nations who aren't Jewish at all? but who, who are, are going to receive the message of the good news of Jesus, just as he said. Is he talking about the dead? He's talking to the sheep pen of those who are living, but he says, but don't worry, those who have gone on before us, they too are going to be there. They're going to join us. Some have even suggested maybe he was talking about life on another planet. Doesn't that sound fun to discuss? I'll just leave that hanging out there. Lots of different options. It's hard to know exactly who Jesus is talking about, but, but here's what I think is the point. He says, I will bring them in. It doesn't matter who you think they are, who I think they are, or who I think they should be. The point is that Christ's sheep pen is bigger and more diverse than any of us could have ever imagined. And that was true for the, for the Pharisees. He's saying to them, this pen is a lot bigger than you have ever thought or you've ever taught that it would be. The church is the sheep pen. Here we are now. Later on, more than 2,000 years, we are the church, and, and we're a very diverse group around the world. And yet we still need the reminder that the church is not a club. It's not some sort of organization that that only the elites get to have membership in and enjoy its privileges. And the Holy Spirit also is not held hostage by just one particular race or nation or type of people. Isn't it ironic how people who think that way also think that, that, 
that those who are in are just like them and no different. The Holy Spirit is not contained inside a building, and the Holy Spirit, the church, is not open just to people like me. The church is and will always be connected to the larger community of humanity. And as Jesus said, it's from the nations, the ends of the earth, that he's going to go, and when he calls as the good shepherd, there will be many who will hear his voice. He will bring them in. They will be part of the flock until someday when the end finally comes. And as the book of Revelation describes it, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation under earth will be gathered before the Lamb of God. All of us together. Jesus says again, tying this to love in verse 17, the reason that my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. It's the cross that's opened up the gate. But I lay down my life only to take it up again because it's the resurrection that gives us the victory over sin and death. No one takes it from me. Oh, that's so important. Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down on his own accord only to take it up again. This is the command, Jesus says, I received from my Father. That sheep pen, in all of its wonderful width and breadth and diversity, is exactly what Paul describes in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's good to be inside the pen, right? But the only reason, the only way that we are there is that we are born again. And that Jesus Christ as the gate, as the good shepherd, calls our voice, we hear, we respond, and we follow. Discipleship is learning to become capable of doing what a person does or becoming like who that person is. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will find pasture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 